welcome to my favorite theorem, the math theorem with no test at the end. I think I decided I liked that tagline, so okay, that's I'm good to go with that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is the other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, not not anything too exciting going on here. My mother-in-law is coming to visit. Uh, later today. So mm -hmm. the fact that I have to record this podcast means my husband has to do the, the cleaning up well, uh, to get ready. Wouldn't for he do that anyway, since it's well, his mom? Well, yeah, probably most of it. But, I mean, but now I've got a really good excuse. House. Yeah, sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ellen, I had our uh, 27th anniversary yesterday. Oh, so. congratulations. Yeah, we uh, had a nice night out in the town, got a hotel room just to sit around and watch hockey, as it turns out. But oh, okay. But there's a pool yeah. at, at the hotel. And you know, it's hot in Florida, and we don't have a pool. Mm -hmm. And this is absurd, yeah. which Ellen reminds me of every day that we need a pool. And I just keep telling her that we could either send the kid to college or have a pool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, but we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about math. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And we're very excited today to have Karina Curto on the show. Hi, Karina. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Karina and I'm a professor of mathematics at Penn State. Yeah. And I think I first, I, I don't think we've actually met but um, I think the first time I saw you was at the joint meetings a few years ago. Um, you gave a really interesting talk about like the topology of neural networks and like how your brain has these like basically kind of mental maps of spaces that you interact with. And it was really cool. So is that the kind of research you do? Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, I remember that talk actually uh, at the joint meetings in Seattle. So that was a talk about uh, the uses of topology for understanding neural codes. And uh, a lot of my research has been about that. And um, basically everything I do is motivated in some way by questions in neuroscience. And so that was an example of um, work that's been motivated by neuroscience questions about how your brain encodes uh, geometry and topology of space. Yeah, there's been a, yeah. Lot of, been a lot of TDA moving in that direction these the last few years. People have been finding interesting uses of topology and neuroscience and study of the brain and imaging and stuff like that. It's very cool stuff. Yep. Yeah. And did you come from a, more of a neuroscience background or did, have you been kind of picking that up as you go coming from a math background? So I originally came from a, like a mathematical physics background. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. I was actually a physics major as an undergrad. Uh, but I did a lot of math, so I was effectively a double major. And then uh, I wanted to be a string theorist <laughs> originally. <Sure>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I started grad school in 2000. So this was like right after Brian Greene's The Elegant Universe came out. Right, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I was young and impressionable. <laughs> and, so, and so I kind of uh, went that route because I loved physics and I loved math. And it was kind of an area of physics that was using a lot of deep math. And uh, so I went to grad school um, to do mathematical string theory in the math department at Duke. And uh, I worked on Calabi Yaos and, you know, extra dimensions and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, the math was mainly uh, algebraic geometry is what right. my PhD thesis was in. So this had nothing to do with neuroscience. <laughs> right. Um, right. Nothing. And uh, so basically about halfway through grad school, I... Uh, I don't know how better to put it than I got a little disillusioned with string theory. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> people laugh now when I say that because <laughs> everybody is. But <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, so I started kind of looking for other. I always wanted to do um, 
applied things. So mm-hmm. interdisciplinary things. Um, and so neuroscience just seemed really exciting. I kind of discovered it randomly and started learning a lot about it and became fascinated. Um, and so then I, you know, when I finished my PhD, I actually took a postdoc in a neuroscience lab that had rats and, you know, was recording mm. from cortex and all this stuff um, because I just wanted to, to learn as much neuroscience as possible. So I spent three years uh, working in a lab. I didn't actually do experiments. I did mostly computational work and data analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, it was kind of a total cultural immersion sort of experience coming from more of a, a pure math and physics background. Right. Um, yeah. I bet yeah. that was a really different experience. It was really different. So I kind of left math in a sense for my first postdoc and then I came back. Um, so I did like a second postdoc at, at Courant at NYU and then started you know, kind of putting the, I started getting ideas of how I could um, tackle some questions in neuroscience using mathematics. And so ever since then, I've basically become like a mathematical neuroscientist is what I, I guess I would call myself. Cool. So I, I, we have, so two thirds of this podcast has Duke alums. That's good. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I did my degree there too. <laughs> are yeah. you a, are you a Duke alum too? I, I did yeah. my degree there too. I finished uh, in 96. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Okay. So, yep. Nice. Well, so what is your favorite theorem? So uh, I have many, but the one I chose for today is the Perron-Frobenius theorem. Nice. All right. And so you want to know about it, I guess? We do. Um, yeah. So do our <laughs> listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually uh, really old. I mean, it's in their older theorems, but this is a, uh, so Perron proved it, um, I think in 1907 and mm. Frobenius in 1912. So it carries both of their names. Uh, so it's over a hundred years old. And uh, it's, a, it's a theorem in linear algebra. So it has to do with uh, eigenvectors and eigenvalues of matrices. Okay. And um, so I'll just tell you quickly what it is. Uh, so if you have a square matrix, so like n by n square matrix with mm-hmm. all positive, so there are many variations of the theorem. I'm going to tell you the simplest one. So if all okay. the entries, if all the entries of your matrix are positive, okay. then you are guaranteed that your largest eigenvalue uh, is unique and real and um, has positive, it's positive, so a positive real part. So eigenvalues can be complex. Mm-hmm. Um, they can come in complex conjugate pairs, for example. And uh, But when we talk about the largest one, we mean the one that has the largest real part. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. And so... So that so one part of the theorem is that that eigenvalue is uh, unique and real and positive, and the other part is that you can pick the corresponding eigenvector for it uh, to be all positive as well. Okay, right. and we were we were talking before we started taping that um, I'm not actually remembering for sure whether we've used the word eigenvector and eigenvalue yet on the podcast, which. I feel like we must have because we've done so many episodes, but um, yeah, could we maybe just say what those are for anyone who isn't familiar? Yeah, so uh, when you have a a matrix, like a square matrix, um, you have these special vectors. So the matrix operates on vectors, Mm -hmm. and so uh, a lot of people have learned how to multiply a matrix by a vector, Mm -hmm. and... um, so when you have a, a vector such, so say your matrix is A and your vector is X, if A times X gives you a multiple of X back, mm-hmm. so you basically keep the same vector but maybe scale it, 
mm-hmm. um, then x is called an eigenvector right. of a, and the scaling factor, which is often denoted lambda, um, is called the eigenvalue mm-hmm. associated to that eigenvector. Right, and you want and x so, you want x to be a non-zero vector in this situation. Yes, you yes. want x to be a non-zero vector. Yes, <laughs> yes. otherwise it's trivial. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you know. I like to think about eigenvectors geometrically because if mm-hmm. you think of your matrix as operating on vectors um, in you know some Euclidean space, for example, then uh, what it does, what a matrix will do, is it'll you know pick up a vector and then move it to some other vector, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an operation that takes vectors to vectors um, called linear transformations that are uh, manifested by the matrix multiplication, mm-hmm. and so when you have an eigenvector the matrix keeps the eigenvector on its own line and just mm-hmm. scales it or it can flip the yeah. sign. If the eigenvalue is negative, it can flip it to point the other direction, sure. but it basically preserves that line, which is called the, the eigenspace associated. Mm-hmm. So right. it's a, it has a nice geometric interpretation. Yeah. So the perron frobenius theorem then says that if your matrix only has positive entries, then there's some eigenvector that's stretched by a positive uh, by a, a positive amount. So yeah, so it says there's some eigenvector um, where the entries of the vector itself are all positive. Right. So it lies yeah. like in the positive orthant of your mm-hmm. space, uh, and also that the largest that you know the corresponding eigenvalue is actually the largest in terms okay. of absolute value. Right. Um, and the reason this is relevant is because there are many kind of dynamic processes that you can model by iterating a matrix multiplication. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, one simple example is things like Markov chains. So if you have, um, say, different populations of something, whether it be, uh, you know, say, animals in an ecosystem or something, right? And you can have these transition matrices that will update the population. Mm-hmm. And so if you have... Um, a situation where you know you, you if your matrix uh, that's updating your your population um, has whatever the leading eigenvalue is of that matrix is going to control somehow the long term behavior of the population. Mm-hmm. So that top eigenvalue, that one with the largest uh, absolute value, is really controlling the long term behavior of your dynamic process. Right. right. It, um, it kind of dominates. It's dominating, right? And you can even see that just by, you know, just by hand when you sort of multiply, if you take a matrix times a vector, and then do it again, and then do it again. So Mm -hmm. instead of having a times x, you have a squared times x or a cubed times x. So it's like doing multiple iterations of this dynamic process. And you can see how then what's going to happen the what's going to happen to the to the vector if it's the eigenvector? Mm -hmm. Well, if it's an eigenvector, well, what's going to happen is when you apply the matrix once, a times x, you're going to get lambda times x. Now apply a again. So now you're applying a to the quantity lambda x, but the lambda comes out, right. the linearity of the, of the matrix multiplication, and then you have ax again, so you get another factor of lambda. So you get mm-hmm. lambda squared times x. Right. And so if you keep doing this, you see that if I do a to the k times x, I get lambda to the k times x. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if that lambda is something you know bigger than 1, Right, mm-hmm. my process is going to blow up on me. Right, and if it's less than one, it's going to converge to zero as I keep taking powers. Right, mm-hmm. 
And so anyway, the, the point is that, that that top eigenvector is really going to dominate the dynamics and the behavior. And mm-hmm. so it's really important if it's positive and, and also if it's bigger or less than one. And the Perron-Frobenius theorem basically tells you that you have, you know, gives you control over what that top eigenvalue looks like and moreover associates it to um, an all-positive eigenvector, which is then uh, a reflection of maybe the distribution of population. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's important that that be positive too, because lots of things we want to model are positive, like populations right. of things. <laughs> yeah. Right. Neg- negative populations aren't good. Yeah. Yes, no. <laughs> exactly. And so right. this is one of the reasons it's it's so useful is because a lot of the things we want to model are are uh, that vector that we apply the matrix to is right. reflecting something like populations. Right. Yeah. So already this is the, this is a very non-obvious statement, right? I mean, because if, if I hand you an arbitrary matrix, I mean, like even like a two by two rotation matrix, it doesn't have any eigenvalues, any positive, right. any real eigenvalues. Right. So, this, but but you know the matrix, the, the entries aren't all positive, so that's you're okay. Right. Uh, exactly. But but yeah, so a priori, it's not obvious that I just hand you an n by n matrix with all real entries that that it even has a real eigenvalue. Period. Right. That, right. Yeah. yeah. It's not obvious at all, and let alone that it's positive and let alone right. that it has a real, that it has an eigenvector that's all positive. That's right. Mm-hmm. And the positivity of that eigenvector is really important too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it seems like if you're, if you're doing some population model, just like make sure your matrix has all, all positive entries. It'll make your life a lot easier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's an interesting, so do you, do you know what the most famous application of the Perron Frobenius theorem is? I don't think I do. I I might, but go ahead. You might, but I'll go ahead. <laughs> okay, well, so, can I can I guess? Uh, sure. Is is it Google? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. Good. <laughs> did you did you Google it ahead of time? No. <laughs> no, this is sort of in the dark recesses of my memory that essentially they computed this eigenvector of the of the of the right web, of the web graph, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So 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 back in the day in the late nineties. When, when Larry Page and Sergey Brin came up with their original strategy for ranking web pages, um, they used this theorem. This is like the original PageRank algorithm is based on this theorem because there they have, again, uh, like a Markov process where they imagine some web, some animal or some you know, person crawling across the web. Mm-hmm. And so you have this graph of websites and edges between them. And you can model the, the random walk across the web as um, uh, one of these Markov processes where there's some matrix that, that reflects the connections between web pages mm-hmm. that you apply over and over again, right, to right. update the position of the, of the web crawler. Mm-hmm. And, and so now if you imagine, uh, you know, a, a distribution of web crawlers and you want to find out uh, in the long run, what pages do they end up on, or what fraction of web crawlers end up on which pages? It turns out that the Perron-Frobenius theorem gives you precisely the existence of this all-positive eigenvector, which is like a positive probability that you have on every website mm-hmm. for um, ending up there. And so, if you look at the eigenvector itself that you get from your web matrix, um, that will give you a ranking of web pages. So the biggest value will correspond to the most, you know, trafficked website Mm -hmm. and smaller values will correspond to sort of less popular websites as predicted by this random walk model. Yeah. And so it really is the basis of the original page. I mean, they do fancier things now and I'm sure they don't reveal it (laughs) to the public at large. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, 
But the original PageRank algorithm was really based on this, and this is the key theorem. So I think it's a it's kind of a fun thing when I teach linear algebra. I always tell students about this. Mm -hmm. Linear algebra can make you billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that'll yeah. catch that'll catch students' attention. <laughs> yes, it gets students' attention. Yes. So, uh, where did you first encounter the Perron-Frobenius theorem? I mean, probably in an undergrad linear algebra class, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, but I also encountered it many more times. So I remember seeing it in just more advanced math classes. It's kind of a linear algebra fact that becomes useful a lot. Um, and, you know, and now that I'm a math biologist, I see it all the time because it's used in so many biological applications. And so, I, you know, I told you about kind of a population biology application mm -hmm. before, but it also comes up a lot in neural network theory that I do. So okay. in my own research, I, I study um, these competitive neural networks. And here I, I have matrices of interactions that are actually all negative, but I can still apply the theorem. I can just flip the sign oh, right. and apply mm -hmm. the theorem and I still get this, you know, dominant eigen eigenvalue and eigenvector. And but in that case, the eigenvalue is actually negative And I still have this all positive eigenvector that I can choose. And that's actually important for um, proving certain results about the behavior of the neural networks that I study. So it's a theorem I actually use in my research. Yeah. Very cool. So so would you say that kind of your appreciation of it has grown since you first saw it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because now I see it everywhere. It's like right. one of those fun facts. And now, you know, so many so many math things that I encounter, it's like, oh, they're using the Perron-Frobenius theorem. And it makes me happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, because I'd imagine it's something, like when I first read the statement of the theory, it's not like it bowled me over with like, mm -hmm. oh, this is clearly going to be so useful everywhere. So yeah. probably as you see how many places it shows up, um, your, your appreciation grows. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about the theorem because, I mean, many things in math are like this, but, you know, surely when Perron and Frobenius proved it over 100 years ago, they never imagined what kinds of applications it would have. You know, they didn't imagine Google sure. <laughs> and <laughs> ranking web pages, right, <laughs> or the neural yeah. network theory or anything like this. And so mm -hmm. it's one of these things where it's like it's some basic, you know, maybe a could look like could look initially like a boring fact of linear algebra, right? If you're just a student in a class and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, there's going to be some eigenvector eigenvalue and it's positive, whatever. And you can imagine just sort of brushing it off as another boring fact about matrices that you have to memorize for the test, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but yet it's like, you know, surprisingly useful. I mean, it has applications in so many fields of applied math and in pure math. And uh, so it's, it's just like one of those things that gives you respect for even seemingly simple and not obviously, um, you know, it doesn't bowl you over, right? You can see the statement and you're not like, wow, that's so powerful, but it ends up that it's actually like the key thing you need um, in so many applications. And so mm -hmm. it, you know, it's kind of earned its place over time. It's like aged nicely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and do you have a, a favorite proof of this theorem? So there, are, I mean, I like the elementary proofs. I mean, there are lots of proofs. Um, so uh, I think, you know, there's an interesting proof by Burkhoff. There's uh, some, you know, proofs that involve the Brouwer fixed point theorem um, mm -hmm. from, you know, which is something 
maybe somebody has chosen already. Yes, Twice. actually, yes. two people have chosen yeah. it. Yeah. Two people have chosen the perfect space <laughs> yeah. area. I would right. imagine that's a popular cho- choice. Uh-huh. And so, um, yeah, there's there are some proofs that rely on that, which I think is kind of cool. So those mm-hmm. are sort of more modern proofs. And I, that's the other thing I like about it is that it has kind of uh, old school elementary proofs that, you know, an undergrad um, in a linear algebra class could understand. And then it also has these more modern proofs. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of an interesting theorem in terms of the variety of proofs that that uh, it admits. So, sure. cool. Yeah. So one other thing we like to do on this podcast is we like to invite our guests to pair their theorem with something. So um, I'm curious. I have to know what what pairs well with the pairing Frobenius theorem. <laughs> I was so stressed out about this pairing thing. This is not <laughs> unusual. Every everybody says this, yeah. I was like, what is this? Um, so <laughs> it's the fun part of the show. So, uh, what? It's the fun part of the show. I know, I know. And yeah. so I was uh so I don't know if this is a good pairing, but I came up with this. So I was I went to play tennis yesterday. So I play tennis mm-hmm. and um I was playing doubles with some friends of mine. And I, I told them, I was like, I have to come up with a pairing for my favorite theorem. And so we chatted about it for a while. And as I was playing, I decided that I should, I will pair it with my favorite tennis shot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so my favorite shot in tennis is a backhand down the line. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, I never um, could master that. So, yeah. Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is one of the, the backhand down the line is one of the basic ground strokes, but it's maybe the hardest one for amateur players to master, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pros all do it well, but, you know, for amateurs, it's kind of hard. So usually people hit their backhand cross court, but if you can hit that backhand down the line, especially when someone's at the net, like in doubles, and you pass them, and uh, it's just very satisfying, kind of like win the point, yeah. and um like for my tennis game, when I my my when my backhand down the line is on, that's when I'm playing really well. Mm-hmm. And nice. I like the sort of linearity. <laughs> right, it, it does seem like you know? It, you know you're pushing. I feel it like I'm just down. Like pushing that eigenvector. You know? Yeah, right. it's <laughs> very so positive. The, everything's positive about it. Everything's positive. You know, <laughs> I can yeah. think of the vector with the tennis ball, like just be, you know exploding down the line. I don't know. Uh-huh. It's sort nice. of a. Maybe it's a stretch, but that's kind of what I decided. I would, a I would stretch, like <laughs> with an eigenvalue and eigenvalue. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, um, right. I needed no, to, to I find a pairing is, that was a stretch. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's this is a really great pairing, and yeah. you know something I love about the pairing thing that we do, other than the fact that I came up with it, so of course I'm absurdly proud of it, yes. is that. Um, like then it, I think for me, at least it's built all these bizarre connections with math and other things. So it's like now when I see the mean value theorem, I'm like, oh, I could eat a mango or like <laughs> all these weird things. So now when I see people playing tennis, I'll be like, oh, you know, the Perone for theorem. theorem. Right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, so have, are you a pretty serious tennis player? Uh, I mean, not anymore. I was, I mean, I, I played in college for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a junior, I was pretty serious. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Nice. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I, I'm not really <laughs> a tennis person. I've, I've never played or really followed it, but I guess there's like some tennis going on right now. That's yep. important. Yeah. The French uh, Open. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the one. Nadal, yeah. Nadal really stuck at the Federer this morning. It's true. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I played obsessively in high school. and I, I never, Really? Yeah, but I was never really any good. And then I kind of gave it up for a long time. And I took it up again in my 30s and did, mm-hmm. did league tennis. This is when I lived in Mississippi. And, uh, you know, my, my team at our level, and we weren't, weren't just sort of very intermediate players, you know. Mm-hmm. We won the state championship two years in a row. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And then, and then I gave it up again when I moved to Florida. My shoulder can't take it anymore. I was one of these guys with a big booming serve and a pretty good forehand oh. and, and then nothing else. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, very, you know, if, if you work my backhand enough, you're going to destroy me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Nice. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. And I'm, I hope other, our, our tennis appreciator listeners will now, uh, you know, have, have an extra reason to, um, enjoy this theorem too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, we also like to give our guests a chance, like if they have a website or book or anything they want to mention um, to, you know, if people want to find them online and, and chat about tennis or linear algebra. Uh, is there anything you want to mention? Uh, I mean, I don't have a book or anything that I can plug, but I guess I wanted to just plug linear algebra sure. as a yeah. subject. Um, so it's one of, you know, I feel like linear algebra is one of the grand achievements of humanity in some ways. <laughs> and, uh, and it should really shine at the, you know, in the public, uh, consciousness at the same level as calculus. I yeah. Think. And maybe even more, maybe, maybe even, even more, more. Yeah. maybe even more. Right. And, and now, you know, everybody knows about calculus. Every little kid knows about calculus. Everyone is like, oh, when, when are you going to get to calculus? You know, calculus, calculus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the linear algebra, it, and it also has kind of a weird name, right? So it sounds mm-hmm. very uh, elementary somehow, linear mm-hmm. and algebra. Right. And, uh, but it's such a powerful uh, subject. And it's very basic, like calculus, you know, right. and that it's used widely. And so I just want to plug linear algebra. Right. I I sometimes (laughs) feel like they're basically like, so math can boil down to like, you know, doing integration by parts really well, or like Mm -hmm. doing linear linear algebra algebra really well. Like a a ton of things. Like I I joked with someone that like I got, like I I didn't end up doing a, a PhD in a field that used a lot of linear algebra, but like I sort of got my PhD in uh, applied integration by parts, just like, oh yeah, just <laughs> figure out an estimate based on doing this. And I think linear algebra, especially now with how important social media and um, yeah. and the internet are, like it is really uh, an important field that I agree more people should know about. Right. It is one of the classes that when I took it in college, it's one of the reasons I, at that time I was trying to get enough credits to finish my math minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was like, oh yeah, actually this is pretty cool. Maybe I should learn a little a little more of this math stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, great and class. I just you know, it's everywhere and you know, there's all these people almost more people have heard of algebraic topology than linear algebra outside, right. you know, mm-hmm. because it's uh, this fancy oh topology or whatever. But you know, when it comes down to it, it's all linear algebra tricks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, with some vision of how to package them together, of course, sure. I'm not trying to diminish the field, but it's, um, <laughs> you know, somehow linear algebra doesn't get, it's the workhorse behind so much cool math and yeah. it doesn't get its due. So. Yep. Yes, cool. definitely agree. Yep. All right. Well, here's to linear algebra. And... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Then... Well, yeah. Thanks a lot for joining us. Okay. Thank yep. you. Thanks. It was fun. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lau. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.